Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. You've been working hard, surviving the Monday through Friday grind. Your mind wanders to that oasis in the desert, the light at the end of the tunnel. You're thinking about that vacation you so desperately deserve. Sure, it's nice to get away, and travel can be everything from relaxing to exhilarating, particularly depending on the destination. But are you ready for this? I'm not talking about whether or not you packed enough underwear or socks, though admittedly that is important. I'm talking about making sure you have taken all the necessary measures to keep yourself and your family healthy as you travel the country and the globe. So before you start taking those selfies and those pictures of your feet on the beach, today's conversation is all about the things you should do to keep you and your family safe, healthy, and disease-free on vacation. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin. My goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. In today's podcast, we're talking travel, specifically travel medicine. My guest is infectious disease and travel medicine physician, Dr. Joel Fishbane. Joel is an experienced and well-versed physician in travel medicine. He has further broadened his expertise by working in several states and traveling extensively. Joel also is retired army, which is where he learned a lot of his travel medicine craft, and Joel happens to be a good friend of mine. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss a number of topics, including when should someone consider going to a travel medicine clinic? What kind of preventative measures should a traveler take to stay healthy? Since not all destinations carry the same diseases, we'll talk about certain precautions that should be taken depending on where you might go. Destination-specific recommendations for travel. And then we'll share some important resources that you and your family can use to find the best travel health advice. So with that, I will introduce today's guest, Dr. Joel Fishbane. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Nick. It's good to be here. Exciting. Appreciate the offer. Absolutely, man. We're going to have some fun. Let's jump in. This is a big topic, lots of ground to cover. So let's try to navigate this in an orderly fashion. I'm going to start kind of very high level. So first question, who should be going to a travel medicine clinic? Who is a travel medicine clinic designed for? Is this something that is exclusively for international travelers uh, or people that are going to exotic or underserved locations? What are your thoughts? Typically, I would say if you are going to travel outside the United States, including Hawaii and Alaska, it's probably a good idea to check with your primary care provider, or you can even go to the CDC website and see if there's anything particular about your destination. Of course, most of the destinations I think people would go to, especially this time of year, Caribbean, et cetera, probably not a huge issue, but there are some general things that we would recommend for patients to consider. And my primary care physician would then be able to sort of funnel me into a pipeline and get me to a, a travel medicine clinic. Is that how that usually works? Uh, they could do that. They could do an initial screen. Of course, in general, we would recommend it's always good to get your general vaccinations up to date, which your primary care provider could review anyway. Mm -hmm. And then from there, if they were concerned or they thought the patients were in particular risk for some unusual organisms or infections, they could refer them on if they were concerned. But you can start with a simple screen. And again, the CDC website can start the process if you want to do that. You teased this a little bit by mentioning vaccinations. Are there are there universal recommendations for virtually any traveler? Like, is there a set of things that you would say, if you're traveling anywhere outside of the country, you should have 
bam, these five things or whatever that might be? Sure. I think we can start with just everybody should make sure that their tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis is up to date. We've missed that on a lot of older individuals, so that's a good place to start. We've been having, obviously, measles outbreaks both throughout the world and in the United States. Absolutely. So there's a certain age group that people would consider that might have missed uh, measles vaccination. It's always good to get that looked at. And of course, this time of year, influenza vaccination, even if you don't want it for where you live or work, you pick that up on an airplane, you will spend most of your time sick on your trip. So the basic vaccinations, which are typically covered benefits from health insurance, is very worthwhile getting up to date on all of that. And that's where your primary care provider would start. Would you throw hepatitis A and hepatitis B into that mix as well? Generally, I would say I like all travelers to have hepatitis A, and actually in the Detroit metropolitan area, as you know, we've had the outbreak, oh, yeah. so I've been telling everybody, just get it. There is absolutely zero downside to a hepatitis A vaccination, and there are no contraindications except for what you might consider allergies to the components of the vaccine. So yes, here in Detroit, in metropolitan Detroit, everybody should have a hepatitis A anyway, because you can pick hepatitis A going down to your favorite restaurant, and yep. we've seen that already. Yeah, very good point. Any medications or, or other travel-related medication or travel-related recommendations that you might throw in other than the routine vaccinations? There has been some reports that you should have your medications in the original bottles with a physician name and a specific medication type, because obviously if you put them in a pill box, you always wonder if customs would wonder about those being legal or illegal substances. And given our opioid epidemic, I don't know what's happening. So that has been a general principle, but I have not heard from any travelers that that has been an issue. So you want to make sure that you have sufficient medications for your routine care up to date, you've got enough for your trip, and you've got extra. Should you be delayed at an airport? Should you decide to extend your trip? Should something happen that you're now in that country or in that part of the world for more than your intended time? So you want to make sure all your medications are updated, you've got sufficient supply, and I think a list with the name of the medication and your doctor would probably be sufficient, but those are the general principles we usually go over. Should I be packing medication like anti-diarrhea medication or, I don't know, I'm just thinking outside of the box yeah. here. I mean, is that something that you recommend routinely for travelers or yeah. destination specific? Uh, no, general routine. Traveler's diarrhea is still the most common problem that affects anybody who goes overseas. So everybody's at risk for travel-associated diarrhea. And there are general over-the-counter medications that can be used like Imodium. And then there are the antibiotics that can be given. And depending on your allergies, drug-drug interactions with your current medications, preferences, costs, we have other options for self-treatment of travel-associated diarrhea. So I'm listening to this right now and I'm thinking, well, that's great and everything. And I still want to take this trip, but I'm on a little bit of a shoestring budget, right? So what should I expect to the cost of a travel medicine clinic visit to be if, uh, you know, if, if say I, I don't have a lot of funds to add to the pot, if I want to make sure I'm doing everything the best I can, but shoestring budget, what am I going to pay out of pocket for a travel medicine visit? That's a very good point. Very few insurance companies will cover pre-travel counseling visits to a provider, but some do, and I think you should check with your insurer. If your insurance does not cover any of it, it is a cash business. So you could shop around. 
Um, it could cost you anywhere from $50 for a simple visit or a follow-up from a previous travel visit and the physician feels like they could give you a discount because you had been seen before to probably over a hundred. And I, th I think because it's a cash business, you are at the whim of the provider who is going to decide at what level they want to charge. So you could just say, I would put a hundred to $200 per person in the side. And if it's less than that, great, but at least you could have some planning idea what a provider might co cost you. Is, is there a prioritization? I guess uh, if, if a patient uh, or a person comes to you and says, all right, look, me and my family are traveling. We're going to we're going to do go do a safari in Africa and you know this is our budget can you make it work you know can you prioritize certain things uh, i don't know i'm probably asking you to step out a little bit of the the scope of quote unquote good medicine but i'd like to get your thoughts on that um i think you can um if you can afford the visit then going over the vaccines and those are again cash cost mm -hmm. uh, unless we're talking again about the routine vaccines which are covered under primary care insurance we're going to talk about the vaccines like yellow fever. Maybe you need Japanese encephalitis virus. Could you need rabies? There are some very expensive vaccines. So you have to decide what your risk aversion is. So I have met individuals who have said, don't tell me not to swim in the fresh water. I'm not taking any malaria pills and I'm not getting any shots. I'm just letting you know. So that would be cheap. Um, so yes, you could sit down and decide what you want. The experience can be tailored to some extent. Absolutely. Okay, good. That's good. How long before my travel itinerary should I plan on visiting a travel medicine clinic? 30 to 60 days because some vaccinations are going to be hard to get and some require two weeks before they have full efficacy. So you want to give yourself plenty of time. Plus, you talked about the cost. Gives individuals an opportunity to shop around for medications. Is there an opportunity if I don't have 30 to 60 days? So let's say I'm a business traveler and I'm going you know, to Southeast Asia and, oh, by the way, I'm leaving in four days. Is there still an opportunity to get some things on board for those types of travelers? Absolutely. Absolutely there are. there, And they may not be fully efficacious, but we certainly might give them to get you in through customs. If there's a required vaccine like yellow fever, we can get the process started. We actually, for typhoid, we have oral or intramuscular. And I would say, well, I don't have time to give you the pills, so you're just going to get the shot if you want it. It still takes two weeks for efficacy, but you get some benefit of that. Absolutely. What does healthcare abroad look like? So I'm traveling, and maybe I'm in a, 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 a less developed part of the world or more exotic type of a location, and maybe I decided, you know, I don't. Maybe I don't need that travel medicine clinic visit. But now here I am in, you know, the jungle of Vietnam, and I'm sick. What does that type of healthcare abroad situation look like for a traveler? Well, it can be very sketchy. It can be very unknown and it can be very nerve wracking, obviously, for the traveler who does not speak the local language and isn't comfortable or sure or reliable on the quality of the individual. Uh, the State Department, I believe the embassies and the consulates can help you. There are physician's assistants. There are some medical resources to Americans abroad. They can at least direct you. Um, I happen to know in Thailand there's a wonderful hospital run by the British called the Bangkok Nursing Home. So when people went to Thailand and got sick, we would refer them that because I had some experience with those issues. So sometimes word of mouth, sometimes the State Department can direct you, but it may be just the concierge at the hotel and, and hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Let's go into some more specific destination specific recommendations for travelers. So I'm going to look at a certain part of the globe 
and say, all right, I'm going to be traveling to X. And now you can kind of tell me, okay, this is your checklist of things that you should hit. Sure. So let's start with one that's very popular in this part of the world, and that is the Caribbean. So sure. a lot of Caribbean travelers, anything special I should be watching out for, vaccines I should be getting, what's sort of your checklist? So my initial checklist always starts with hepatitis A. As you know, kids are getting that at an early age now. So young travelers of parents, they're probably up to date. Michigan has a wonderful website so the pediatrician can pull the vaccine. So if they've had hep A, you're done with the kids. For the adults, um, it can be free at the health department because we're in the middle of an outbreak. So you talked about a shoestring budget, but let's say they have plenty of money. Hepatitis A to me is the minimum. It's an easy vaccine, very good. And you don't know who's serving you food down there. It could be an immigrant in that country with hepatitis A. So I think even though there might not be a lot of hepatitis A where you're going, I always worry about everybody else around you. So hep A is simple. Type and, and for people listening, hepatitis A, virus transmitted by food, uh, causes an acute liver disease, makes your skin turn yellow, makes you sick. Right. People don't generally die from hepatitis A, but there are cases of people getting very sick from it and it's vaccine preventable. Right, exactly. Yeah. What else besides hep A? Um, we look at typhoid. Typhoid tends on the travel advisory systems that we use, like the Travax and the CDC. A lot of times typhoid is recommended. I would have to look at each country to see if they're really in the middle of an outbreak. You talk about saving money. That could be one that can be skipped, but I like to give typhoid. The other reason to give it would be for people who travel, are you going again in a year or two? A lot of people right. with money who like to travel will say, well, we're starting to travel more. We're retired. We're whatever. We've got grandkids. So we're going to start with the Caribbean, but we're going to Africa next year. You know, the oral typhoid, if you want to, give it now. Get you some extra coverage. Those are options. It could be skipped in many countries. Um, so that would be it. Those are the big two big ones for just general travel. Traveler's diarrhea precautions. Right. Let's talk about both. So okay. how do you get it? Right. I think I know the answer, but maybe you would like to tell us. <laughs> so um, you're on a trip to uh, Mexico, you're in the Caribbean, and you decide that you're going to have that lovely iced tea with ice cubes. You have no idea where the water comes from. The hotel tells you, oh, all the ice cubes with the holes down the middle, that's filtered water. It's safe. And we got that in Bangkok all the time. I mm -hmm. didn't trust them. Um, so food and water that is un um, uncooked um, is a very high risk for anything like hepatitis A, any of the bacterial infections that cause traveler's diarrhea. So for prevention in our clinic, what we say is steaming hot, freshly prepared foods, fruits with a peel, and bottled beverages, and please ask the waiter to open the bottle of the bottled water that you've just ordered, because there are many places in many countries where they'll refill the bottles with the tap water and serve it at the table, and they'll tell you it's bottled water. And in fact, it's tap water that they're saving money and just refilled. So Sneaky. Yeah. Very sneaky. So those are the basic principles for preventing traveler's diarrhea, but you go without a salad for two weeks on your trip, and yeah, it's it gets tough. I've, I've done it. I've, I, I have to admit, I've gone without a salad for two weeks in my life. And we can't forget, <laughs> beer and wine is always safe. That's true. That is true. What about uh, Zika? So this time of year, I think a lot of people are getting away from the cold. They want to go where it's nice and warm. They're traveling into areas where there might be Zika. Zika was hot a couple years ago. We talked about Zika on this podcast a little bit too. What do we know today about Zika? Yeah, so Zika, chikungunya, and dengue are all transmitted by the similar 
mosquitoes. They're all over the world. There's hot spots all over the world for multiple viruses transmitted by the mosquitoes. So we could talk just in general about um, mosquito prevention. Yep. So because if you go to Africa, you've got malaria at night, you've got dengue, you've got Zika. So it's not just the Caribbean, it's not just Zika. So let's talk about all of the vector-borne or mosquito-borne illnesses that you want to protect yourself against. So the first thing we always recommend is understand the difference between the daytime and the nighttime biters. So the malaria is a nighttime biter. And if you're going to a populated city and you're going to be in the hotel after dusk, you probably don't need to worry about malaria. Mm -hmm. But if you're hiking across Thailand like a friend of mine did with his entire family on elephants and camping in the jungles of Thailand, then you're at very high risk for multiple things. So the daytime and the nighttime biters. So for Zika, chikungunya, and dengue, you're talking about daytime biting mosquitoes. So you want to use bug repellent. And there's three very good products on the market. And if you're into the healthy organic stuff, there's actually some oils that have been used that are very effective. But we recommend a good bug repellent applied based on the recommendations on the package insert and use that because that's the best way to prevent any of them. So I know I kind of dodged the Zika thing, but really it's a general principle of protection from all mosquito-borne illnesses. Have the recommendations as far as Zika for travelers changed at all recently that you're aware of? Yeah, I believe the CDC shortened the duration for men to avoid um, getting their spouses pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, it went from six months to three months. I think the spouses, women is about the same. But my understanding was they were kind of shortening yep. the, as they get a little bit more data and a little more information. Yeah. But Zika is still out there. That's, it is. That, yeah, that's what I've been hearing as well. Um, long walks on the beach, right? <laughs> so uh, there was an article, uh, and I, I teach this one to medical students when I give lectures too, and, and, I, and I talk about skin infections. Long walks on the beach. There was a couple, I believe they were from Canada, and they were in the Dominican Republic, and they were taking a nice long walk on the beach, very romantic. And uh, some days later, they both got these nasty, horrible infections on the bottom of their feet. And it turned out that they contracted uh, an infection called cutaneous larva migrans, which is basically stepping on a, a, a worm or a worm larva, which then embeds itself in the skin and creeps and crawls through your skin and causes an infection, which yep. is about the most horrifying thing I can picture. And I think it scares the bejeebies out of people. So I, one of my pieces of advice that I've given to people that are traveling to the Caribbean is maybe you don't want to take barefoot walks on the beach. Just saying. I know, but you're in Thailand. It's 80 <laughs> degrees. You're on a white sand beach. You didn't see the dogs poop on the beach all night long because it's basically from the dog poop. And they let their dogs poop on the beach. And then you step on the larva. And yeah, you get cutaneous larva migrants. Consider some type of shoe for beach walking. But not only that, if you're in Africa on a safari, you could pick up a fly that lands its, uh, puts its eggs on your toes and you could end up uh, a week or two later having a larva stuck in your skin trying to get its way out. So oh, don't spoil my Africa surprise. <laughs> We're getting to Africa here in just a minute. But before we, before we fly across the ocean here, let's swing over to Central and South America. Okay. So I think a lot of the recommendations here are going to be very similar to some of the Caribbean recommendations. Um, is, is this kind of the usual stuff, or are there any other add-ons that I might want to include for going to parts of Central America and South America? Right. Well, now you're adding in yellow fever, yep. um, you're, which is a problem right now because the vaccine, the new vaccine, has not been FDA approved. They're expecting end of this year, next year. We have it under a limited availability through a few travel agencies. So yellow fever is a big deal. 
Talk uh, about yellow fever for just a second. So, um, nice virus again, mosquito transmitted causes you to turn yellow, um, high mortality rate. And actually, I don't know if you know, it, but we used to have yellow fever, malaria, dengue, all within the United States up to Washington, D.C. because of the swamps. And that was drained and treated, you know, eons ago. So we don't have it here, but all the way up to Michigan, we do have the vectors for all of them. Hmm. So, uh, yellow fever is just a transmitted by a, a mosquito and, um, obviously discovered by Walter Reed, the vector or the mosquito during the Panama Canal. Yep. And, uh, therefore, uh, we now have a vaccine, but it's a live virus. It's limited. It's a problem. And it's limited because uh, just manufacturing issues? I mean, do you know anything about why that is? All I know is the company switched from one version to a different version, and I'm not actually sure why it was switched. Okay. Well, not important, I guess. Yeah. But it is just, I guess the takeaway point is that it is difficult to get. So yeah. if you're going to an area where you need the yellow fever vaccine, you should plan right. well in advance. Yeah, the only other two things you talked about, South and Central America, everybody loves to go to Machu Picchu. And if you altitude. if you land there, altitude, very good, is an issue. So we do treat people, actually, or prevent them from getting altitude sickness. Um, malaria is a huge issue. Yep. And then ecotourism has become really, really popular. And if you decide that you want to go into the jungles and you're going to be swimming through fresh water, there are some other bacteria that we like to give prevention for, leptospirosis, which is a bacteria that gets in through your skin and makes people very, very sick. So, you know, it's important. What are you going to do there? Are you just going to go to a hotel, sit on a beach, drink beer and, and go into the ocean? Or are you going to be hanging around the Amazon River swimming? Those sorts of things are an issue. Good point. I think it's a it's a good reminder for people to be as forthcoming as they can with their doctors about what their travel plans are. You know, telling someone that you're going to go to Peru could have vastly different implications if you're going to be, you know, traveling to the mouth of the Amazon as opposed to, you know, hanging out in Lima. So I think that that's a good point. Let's talk for a second about malaria. Um, talk about malaria prevention for travelers. What does that consist of? So um, it depends on the individuals, like you talked about, cost limits, uh, budget, shoestring budgets. Um, the first thing is prevention with preventing the mosquitoes. So for short visits, sometimes it's not even worth giving them the pills, which I can talk about. Bug repellents, bug repellents, bug repellents. I mean, really, that's the key. If you prevent the mosquito and all the bugs and the ticks from biting you, you've basically prevented the vast majority, you know, of infections. If you're going to be there long enough and your risk is high enough, we have pills that will prevent you from getting malaria. Some are cheap, some are expensive, some have side effects, but the newer ones, I think, are very well tolerated. I believe they're generic now. The prices come down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the radio, but <laughs> you can go to Canada and get it cheaper. <laughs> That's why the two months lead time is nice. Fair enough. I think, you know, you've said it perfectly. I don't think we want to get too in the weeds with the different types of medications and why this one might be better than that one. I mean, that, you know, two infectious disease doctors could probably talk a long time about that and everybody will fall asleep. So we'll leave it at that. Malaria, keep the mosquitoes away. And there are pills available. I think that's perfect. Now let's fly uh, across the Atlantic and let's go to Africa. So different, different continent, different diseases, different types of prevention that are involved. Different geography, depending on what part of Africa you're going to be in, could have vastly different implications as far as your travel. So how do you want to think about Africa from a travel perspective? So it is important to know where you're going. If you're flying to the country of South Africa and you're going to Cape Town, Johannesburg, you need nothing. 
Yeah. Hepatitis A and typhoid, we're going to make that a given. Yep. You don't need anything. Now you're going to go to Kruger National Park and you're going to go to the game parks. So you're going to fly to Tanzania to the game parks. Knowing that's part of your trip changes things vastly. If you're going to Kenya and you're going to spend a couple of days or get a visa stamp for Kenya, you're going to go from a yellow fever country to a non-yellow fever country. You've got to show proof you've had the vaccine. You may not get in. So this is where the itinerary is very important. Um, if you're going to Africa to do mission work and you're in the meningitis belt, we could add meningitis to the vaccination protocol. So mm -hmm. what they're doing is important. Um, as far as Africa, if you're going hunting, if you're going to the game parks and you're going to be exposed to a lot of nasty biting mosquitoes and other bugs, we actually also add treating your clothing. And I call it the game park clothing pack. So for individuals who are traveling, they're saying, okay, we're going to spend four days in a game park and they're going to be in one of those cabins with the tents. There's a pre-treatment for your clothing you can get and you can pre-treat the clothing. It's good for six weeks and six washes and helps mosquitoes, ticks, and other bugs from biting you too. So that's your game park pack. Um, and those are clothes put into a bag and put in your suitcase and kept separate until you get to the game parks. That helps prevent some of the infections. So depending on what you're doing there can be lots of vaccines, lots of shots, lots of pills versus nothing. I think travel to Africa, generally speaking, for physicians can be intimidating. I think when a when a physician hears from a patient, you know, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go take a trip with my family to uh, you know the the middle of Africa. I think that there's an intrinsic recoil there because there are a lot of diseases in, in parts of Africa that we never see. There's malaria. The malaria there is not your garden variety malaria. It tends to be a little bit more resistant. Um, I think it would probably be fair to say that African travel should prompt a travel medicine clinic visit. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Aside and, from what you said about South Africa. And, and I will say so far, every individual I've sent to Africa for travel have not seen anybody come back with any significant illness so far. So I do think the pre-travel counseling and the prevention really works well to keep everybody healthy. Let me talk a little bit about Northern Africa. So the Mediterranean sort of coast of Africa, are there any special recommendations for there? For example, if someone wants to go to Egypt, aside from maybe some of the geopolitical issues that are going on in that part of the world, travel-wise, any, spe any special recommendations? Uh, nothing jumps up at me right now. We've had some soldiers come back with some very interesting problems when they've gone to Africa for mission trips, but I don't think the average tourist would need to worry about that. And you mentioned actually... Um, tourists versus others. Tourists don't usually pick up these weird infections like filariasis, dracunculus, all these weird things that locals get. So I think right. you're okay. I know it's scary. Like the worm that crawls out of your you skin. Know, you yeah, make yeah, infectious yeah. disease doctors get very excited when you talk about these right. things. But the travelers just don't really do the things the natives do to get it. However, that being said, stay away from fresh water. If it's a fresh water, you don't swim, you don't put your toe in it, you stay out of the fresh water because of one of the parasites loves to get into people. So no fresh water. That's one of the biggies. Northern Africa, obviously the falls, Victoria Falls, Lake Victoria, and the Nile. No, no swimming, no touching, stay away. Schistosomiasis. Schistosomiasis. Makes sense. Let's go now to parts of Asia. So I'm going to split Asia a little bit and say, okay, we're going to the Middle East. I think there's one important thing I want to highlight for Middle Eastern travel, and that is 
people who are traveling on pilgrimage. Yes. And we got to talk about the Hajj, and we got to talk about the risk of meningitis. Can you talk about that for just a second? Actually, it's been such a problem that the Hajj actually requires proof of meningitis vaccination, I believe, to even get in. So right. it's an easy vaccine, very effective, and I believe it's required. And I've had some friends who were going to the Hajj who had to get it because they were told, I believe it may be visa-related. I'm not 100% sure you have to have it. Is there anything unique as we kind of expand uh, uh, eastward across Asia? We're going to you know, go through India and we're going to go through Southeast Asia and China and so on. Any other unique recommendations for travelers to those parts of the globe? Yeah, I think for, for the funny travelers who go to areas where there might be long stays, you can start to talk about southern China and parts of Asia in the, in the jungle areas. You're talking about Japanese encephalitis. If you're going to Thailand to spend a month in the jungles with a mission trip group. So now you're talking about some unusual vaccines like Japanese encephalitis, expensive. So you have to plan that for sure. Um, and the only other one for the long trips that we didn't talk about for any parts of the country, South America, Africa, if you were going with the Peace Corps, or if you were on a mission trip going into the mountains of Colombia for a month, and you weren't sure you could get back rabies. So there are some weird and unusual vaccines we would offer people, but you're talking hundreds of dollars a shot and multiple shot series. So it's really something that needs to be planned. We just had a case of rabies in the United States. I think it was reported in 2017, a woman from India who was bitten by a dog. It was uh, something that was the CDC just recently reported. It took a long time to figure out what it was that she actually had. Quite an unfortunate case. Let's get back to the, what we'll call the more developed world. Um, so this is going to be your travel throughout the continental United States to parts of Canada, parts of Europe, areas that we tend to think are more um, urban uh, or more, just more developed in general. Special travel recommendations for those folks? Not typically. Um, I still like to give Hep A, um, excuse me, Hepatitis A, you know, vaccines to European travel. Probably not typhoid. United States, no. Canada, no. Um, but obviously, I spent five years in Hawaii. We had a lot of leptospirosis. Yep. People love to swim in fresh water, and they don't realize there's actually something in Hawaii that can make you very sick. What should I say to someone if I'm at a bar in Hawaii and they bet me to eat a giant slug? Um, I would say there's not that much alcohol in the bar <laughs> to make you want to really eat a giant snail. This is a funny story. So this is not something that's unheard of, but the, you know, I think you actually clued me in on this, that this right. was sort of a military bet. Right. So the uh, Marines love to drink, love to party. They dare each other to eat the giant African snail. And 50% of the giant African snails in Hawaii are infected with the rat lungworm. And it causes a very bad meningitis. That's a particular type of parasitic infection. It's self-limited. It can have some permanent damage, but it makes them pretty sick. Don't eat the giant slugs. In not raw. I mean, you can at least cook them first. <laughs> we would strongly recommend cooking your giant African snail before consuming. After I return from my excursion, now I'm back home. Um, should I be routinely checking in with my doctor? What are some things I should be on the lookout for? What's your advice to travelers coming back home? Right. So the returning traveler is still the most common illness is viral infections acquired while in the airplane. That is by far still the most common issue. Somebody comes back, they get influenza, they get sick. That's still the most likely. Okay. There are some unusual circumstances we would recommend routine follow-up. But all I suggest to individuals, especially individuals who don't want malaria pills or don't finish malaria pills, is 
if you develop a fever within 30 days of travel, you need to remind the emergency room, I was in this country and I'm not leaving here until you rule out malaria. That's what Dr. Fishbane told me to tell you. Because the only time that you will die in this country of malaria is if the emergency room sends you home and calls it a viral illness. If you were in a part of the world where you're at risk. It goes back to being forthcoming. I've, I've had the pleasure of taking care of patients before where, you know, they, they present with a fever and they just look awful and you're, you know, you're gathering information from them. And it's, it seems like you've been talking to them for a half an hour and then they say, Oh, I forgot to mention I was just in you know, X part of the world. And you're like, Oh my gosh. I know. Oh, that changes by the way. everything. So yeah, good. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. We're just about to wrap things up. Can you tell us um, where we might find a travel clinic near us? For anybody who might be listening in all parts of the United States, is there a website that you recommend they go to? Is there a, a good resource for finding a travel clinic near you? Well, um, obviously, Beaumont Royal Oak has a very robust, very excellent travel clinic, and I would recommend um, staying, obviously, within the Beaumont system. And if you are not near a Beaumont hospital or if Beaumont Royal Oak's too far, that's a good question. Um, when I was at my other facility before joining you wonderful people, I sent uh, flyers to the travel agents. So before you go, you could check with your travel agent to find out, do they have a list of travel clinics? Some places do. There uh, may be some websites. I know there's a big travel clinic in D.C. I'm not familiar with any particular website to say, find me a travel clinic. Would it be reasonable to just check in with your primary care doctor and assume that they probably have the resources to find a travel clinic if you're not in the metro Detroit area near one of one of our facilities? Yes, I think they can start. The other thing is infectious disease usually can direct you. Yeah. Websites that uh, would be good to know about, CDC, Yellow CDC. Book. CDC, Yellow State Book. Department. State Department is nice just to know your visa requirements, your threats. Um, we okay. we use what's called the Travax, which is a compilation of various sites that put out a single paper for you as the individual travel. And it's really nice because it gives you phone numbers, contact information, State Department information, threats, risks, and all the nasties. And I know that when I see the teenagers who are leaving mom and dad for the first time on a mission trip with their church for two weeks, and we go through all of this, the water and the bugs and the parasites, the bug eyes of the parents is unbelievable. So <laughs> the Travax is a great resource, then we give Good. it to the patients. And if you have access to it, that's helpful. So most travel clinics will have access to that. Good. Thank you. That's about all we have time for today. I want to thank the incomparable Dr. Joel Fishbane for giving us his time on the podcast today. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for inviting me. It was great fun, Nick. Absolutely. I also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. Dr. Shah Jahan and I are always scouting out the best questions for a future mailbag episode. And with that, I will leave you with today's healthy thought. Travel should be fun. Getting sick on vacation or after you get home from vacation is definitely not fun. So be a smart traveler. Know where to get everything you need for your selected travel destination. Make sure you have the appropriate immunizations to keep you safe from common travel diseases like hepatitis, typhoid, or meningitis, depending on where your destination might be. If necessary, make sure you take malaria pills or medication to protect against altitude sickness or traveler's diarrhea. And if you have questions, Find what you need on a reputable online site like the CDC's Yellow Book or through a travel medicine clinic in your area. Thank you. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. 
Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast. 